0: Hey, good morning. good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. We are so glad that you're here with us. Uh, again, as Mandy said, my name is David Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, love seeing new faces. So glad that you're here on this warm uh, Sunday morning. Well, uh, <clears throat> about a week ago, uh, last week's Saturday, I was in. Invited to play in a uh, volunteer softball uh, game that included some of the coaches from the Homewood Baseball Softball uh, League and some of the administrators. I just happened to be—I happened to be um, my son Jonah's uh, T-ball coach this year, which was kind of crazy. Um, but uh, I'm glad we were able to all get together to play softball. And I'll tell you what—I because this was my first year, I would—I didn't really know what to expect. This thing goes every year. Uh, And if you know me, I'm a little bit competitive. Uh, I enjoy sports. And because I didn't know what to expect, like I put on all my gear. I got ready to go. I showed up. And listen, I I didn't know if these people were just going to like blow me out. But listen, one of my worst fears is being like that guy, you know, the guy that the captain like regrets picking, you know. So I I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to hustle I'm going to do everything that I can to not be that guy. Well, it turns out, uh, I think I was hustling more than than anybody else on the field. Uh, But I did well. I caught every single ball that came to me. I was running really, really hard. Uh, I was beating out ground balls. Uh, I I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, uh, but that's okay. I just, I was doing really well. And I did all that for four hours. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I wasn't expecting that it would take me four or five days to recover from four hours of volunteer softball. Uh, That was a little shocking to me. I I kid you not. My wife can attest to this. Uh, There were some days where I had to, like, use my hands to lift my legs out of my car so that I could get out of the car. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night because my body was in so much pain. We're talking about softball, okay? (laughs) Softball? You guys know? Anyway. So why, why am I telling you all this? Why am I telling you about my softball escapades? Well, I was reminded of a lesson this week, a lesson that I'd like to share with you so that maybe you can avoid it, maybe you can learn from it, and that is just because I think I'm in shape doesn't mean I'm actually in shape. Any of you guys connect with that at all? Anyway, that one hit me pretty hard this week, just because I think I could play four hours of softball. Well, anyway, I can't do that again. Um, But I also thought this was like a great, like, real life example for the sermon series that we're in. Series we're calling "Fit for Life." Fit for life. And we talk about being fit, or we talk about fitness. Uh, My mind typically goes to being physically fit, right? I think about my experience with softball or whatever other physical activity. But as we've been saying over the last couple weeks, is that this idea of fitness can apply to so many different areas of our lives, right? Especially as we consider the basic definition of fitness, and that is the quality of being suitable to perform a particular role or task. Let me say that again. The quality of being suitable to fulfill a particular role or task. And so, of course, you know, thinking about that, we can apply it to being mentally fit, cognitively fit, emotionally fit, relationally fit. And, of course, here at church, we ought to be thinking about being spiritually fit, right? Um, and even those ideas can seem, still seem like big ideas, so to help me think a little bit more practically about this, I like to think about fitness as like a state of readiness. That is, how ready am I to jump into a particular role or to fulfill a certain task? How ready am I to do the things that are being asked of me? Some of you work in a workplace where you have a fitness for duty program, right? And it's basically an assessment as to whether or not you are ready to work. How ready are you to jump into a particular area of ministry? How ready are you to engage in that relationship that you've been waiting for for so long? How ready are you to do this or that? How, what is your fitness level in those areas? And I think if we were just launching the series from that point, we'd really just be talking about how to be like better versions of ourselves, right? really just talk about maybe a little bit of self-help a little bit you know how to how to be a better you but as followers of Jesus I think we have to consider the teachings of Jesus right there's that part of this and what we see in the teachings of Jesus from the very beginning and repeated over and over and echoed by the apostles and echoed from generation to generation is that your li- your lives your existence your fitness all of your life the fitness your readiness to be able to do different things it's really not about you it's not about you instead what jesus points us to is this great big story about a big god on a big mission to save this world from the from the powers of sin and darkness that might try to overtake us and it's it's a huge it's a huge idea It's it's almost crazy to think about that. Another crazy thing we got to add to that is that you and I have a part to play in that. Great big story about a great big God on a great big mission. So that's why I love that Gino started this series. Talking about how our lives are not our own. How our lives, our fitness levels, our readiness... It's not just about us, but it's really about our purpose. It's about our part to play in that great big mission of God, right? And I love the follow-up last week as he talked about, you know, your, your fitness level and whatever area that you're in isn't just a momentary thing. It's not just about getting knocked down and surviving a single single sort of moment, but rather we need to be fit for life, fit for the long haul, fit to last, Right? So I love how how we've been tracking through this idea of fitness and purpose. This morning, I'm going to continue the sermon series talking about money. I know that we've talked about these wonderful, beautiful ideas of, of purpose and mission and all that. And then the preacher gets up, he's talking about money. But I really believe that money intersects our purpose just about every day of our lives just about every day of our lives before we even go any further I want to acknowledge as I often do when I talk about money is that this topic can be really awkward I I tell you people as a pastor people confess the craziest things to me okay but they will clam up when we start talking about money I mean it's, it's strange but it's real I mean, you're in an accountability group, or you're, you go to a small group, and you're, you're telling everybody everything. But as soon as somebody asks you, "Hey, can I see that credit card statement?" It's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute, wait a minute. Back up, okay? My money is my money. I'm going to deal with it." And so we get we get weird, right? And there's a whole number of reasons why that could be the case. Some of you have been hurt. Because of a financial decision that you made or somebody made that affected you, some of those financial decisions were here in church. Maybe not this church, or but some other church. And so, this idea of talking about money you know, is really hard. It's okay to talk about purpose. It's okay to talk about grinding it out, doing the tough stuff of life. But I want to acknowledge that this topic might be uncomfortable. But in the same breath. I also have to acknowledge that we can't escape money. We can't. We can't escape money. It's a part of our everyday lives. I'm a firm believer that most of the decisions that you make on a daily basis have some type of financial implication. The type of cereal you ate this morning. Right? That was a financial decision. Or maybe you didn't eat at all. That had some financial implication how you got here. The car that you drove or maybe didn't drive. Maybe you piggybacked on somebody's bumper to get here so you could save money. There's all different things that throughout the day that are financial decisions. The type of friends that we keep. The places that we live. The schools that we send our kids to. The churches that we go to. So many different areas of our lives Week to week, surely, daily, sometimes even minutely, we are making financial decisions. And so if we're able to accept this idea that we are on a mission with God and that we are supposed to be walking out our purpose for God, we add into this idea that we're making financial decisions over and over and over, surely there will be an intersection of our purpose and money. You guys tracking with me? And so this is a really important topic. It's really, really important. And so I recognize that it's uncomfortable, but we got to deal with this stuff. And so today, uh, the, the, the purpose of this message isn't to just, you know, make us feel bad about the decisions that we make with our money. It's really about to help us, help us to make better financial decisions. Or really, maybe a different way to say it is to, to be able to uh, uh, understand the need... For Healthy Finances i titled today's message The Need for Financial Fitness The Need for Financial Fitness Because I really feel like In order to engage in the mission And purpose that God has for our lives We have to be fit in this area Amen? Amen. Alright, so here's the deal Your financial situation Is very different than mine it's very different than Ramones, very different than Shannons. Very, we're all just in a different space, right? Also, your your story, your part to play in the mission of God is also very, very different. And so it's almost impossible to come up with a a, a list of 10 things to do so that you can walk. In a, we're just in so many different places in life that it's almost impossible to come up with a how-to type of sermon, uh, And also, I don't feel like the Bible teaches us about money in that way. Uh, What I do think that we can draw from the Bible is some really foundational, very healthy principles about how to view money, how to use money, uh, and how to integrate money into walking out our purpose in life. Uh, So uh, while we're all in many different places, I do feel like God is calling all of us to be in a healthy financial place. Amen? So to unpack that, what does that mean for us? Uh, I want to look at a few different scriptures, uh, but we're going to anchor our talk in Matthew chapter 6. I'd love it if you would join me there in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6. So as I was, I was going through this passage, I recognize that I have, uh, i taught from this passage before. And I don't know, I kind of have a thing about trying to use, you know, more of the Bible as I teach. But I just, it's so hard to get away from the clear teachings of Jesus in this passage. It's so hard. I mean, there's so much in this passage, so much that we're going to be able to uh, pull out and learn from. Uh, so Matthew chapter 6, uh, I feel like it's so applicable to our lives. You know what, let me... I'm going to take one more drink, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get going. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to follow along in a Bible, there's you might see that there's Bibles at the ends of your row. Uh, if you see one, you can ask a neighbor to just pass that down to you. Uh, You're also, also welcome to use whatever mobile device or electronic device to track along with me. The words will also be displayed up on the screen. So Matthew chapter 6. Uh, let me Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I just... I just I just ask that you would come, come Holy Spirit. God, we need you. We need you for the easy conversations, and we need you for the tough conversations. God, I ask that you would help us to dig deep today. I ask that you would challenge us in the ways that uh, we might be falling short. Uh, Lord, I also just ask that you would encourage us in the ways that that we're, maybe we're getting it right. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us so clearly. I know that we're all in so many different places in life. And so, God, we just we need individual attention today. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would go beyond me. I ask that you would move me out of the way. Help me to not get in the way of you uh, connecting with anybody and everybody in this room. Come, Holy Spirit. Put power on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 19. We're going to go all the way to 34. It's a little bit of a long passage, so please bear with me. Starting in verse 19, this is Jesus speaking. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is, no one can serve two masters, for one will hate the other You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or even clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? You know, without uh, diving very deeply into this passage, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus cares a lot about money. Jesus cares a lot about money. We read this passage in there, um, besides the kingdom of God, and that is Jesus' teachings about how God is extending his domain and rule on the earth and extending that into our lives and into, our, into the world around us. Besides that topic, which is pretty important, Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. Jesus cares about money. He actually uses some pretty strong language here, some pretty shocking language, even confusing things about money. What does Jesus mean when he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal? What does he mean when he says that we can be enslaved by money? So don't or, or when he says don't worry about the things like what will you ask questions like what will we eat what will we drink what will we wear these are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers It's a little confusing, right? Is Jesus saying that, you know, believers shouldn't have like savings accounts or investment accounts? Is he saying that to be a real believer your bank account needs to be hovering around zero? Is that what he's saying? Now, I'm I'm not asking these questions in a a dismissive way. Jesus Christ said these words. And so I feel like we have to wrestle with them. We have to to process through them. And so I think it's fair. I think it's okay to, to try to look within the context of the full passage of what he's trying to talk about. But I also think it's okay to look in the full context of Scripture to help us process through this. Help us look at different scriptures that he might have taught about money, which we'll look at a little bit later, but also passages like Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6. This is the wisdom of God. It says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Even ants have savings accounts. Right, We need to take a lesson from them. Or what about Proverbs chapter 20, uh, uh, 2120? It says the, this is the NLT version. I'm going to read a couple different versions. It says the, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. I like how the NIV says it because it, it really sort of mirrors what Jesus is talking about. The NIV says the wise store up choice food and olive oil but fools gulp down theirs gulp theirs down so how do we compare this how, how do how do we process through this well i think it's i think it's fair to say as we look at the other teachings of jesus we look at the full scope of scripture that maybe it's the case that jesus is trying to trying to teach us bigger lessons and maybe that he wasn't trying to give us specific financial advice, advice about savings, etc. So today I want to look at the big picture, some of the big ideas that Jesus is, what I, I think Jesus is laying out here in this passage, um, as we go along. Uh, and to start, I I, uh, I was reminded of another Proverbs passage, uh, Proverbs twenty-seven twelve that says a prudent person or a wise person foresees danger and takes precautions, the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I think about that verse for uh, many in many scenarios in life, but I just think about when we talk about money, I feel like it's, it's so wise of us to, to kind of think about what are some of the traps that we could fall into when it comes to money? What are some of the dangers that we can fall into when it comes to money. And I actually think that that's one of the big ideas that Jesus is trying to highlight here in this passage. A couple different uh, dangers that he's trying to inform us about. The first one is that money offers us power. Money offers us power. the way that I would define power, at least in this sense, is just simply the ability to do the things that we want to do, Right? And we see this playing out in the world around us, right? Generally speaking, the people who have more money can typically do more of what they want to do than, than the people who don't have money, right? People who have more money have more opportunity. They have more access. Having more money might give you a better standing in, the, in your social circles or your community. Having more money might give you a bit more influence, right? Money offers us power. And even though those are big ideas, right, but I think we can also personalize this. The more money we have gives us opportunity to move into the community that we want to live in. It gives us the opportunity to send our kids to a certain school, to, to engage in a certain community life, a certain lifestyle. Money affords us opportunities that we would not have if we had less money, right? money offers us power now if we just look at that it it almost seems like money might have just be a neutral part of our lives just simply a mechanism that is part of our existence but I think it's so much more than that especially as we see Jesus having such a strong reaction to money so why why does Jesus have such a problem with us focusing our lives on money I think he alludes to the reason when he talks about our treasures here on earth being eaten away by moths and rusting away. And that is, money is temporary. Money is temporary. So what, what happens is that we have to spend money in order to tap into the power of money, Right? In order to actually reap the benefits of the money that we have, we actually have to spend it. We actually have to go out and use it. We have to, we have to spend that money. The problem is, as your parents might have told you, is that money doesn't grow on trees, right? <laughs> and so what happens is that we, after we spend money and that we try to enjoy the money that we have and the benefits that money might afford us, the thing is that in order to keep that up, we have to go get more money. And as we go get that more money, and we, again, enjoy the things that we like, or maybe we should even try to improve our current life situation, we have to go out and get more money. It's temporary. For Jesus, in his day, you know, moths ate it. For us, the credit card machine takes it. Somewhere on the other side of that wire, that money is rusting and being eaten by moths, apparently. No, but in all seriousness, this is a problem. This is a problem because the pursuit of that money, the the commitment to, to getting more and more and more of that money is no longer a neutral part of our lives. Money starts to then dictate our lives. We spend money, we enjoy a certain lifestyle. Suddenly we have to keep that up. And we aren't necessarily making the decisions anymore that money is making the decisions. That money begins to control our lives. And this is why I think, uh, this this is how I think money becomes the master of our lives. Or as Jesus put it, this is the point where money enslaves us. Money enslaves us. Money becomes the only... A uh, real perceived solution to our problems having money takes away our fears having money solves the different th- issues that we're engaged with having money is really the only way to get our kids to be able to live the life that we want for them money becomes the answer in our lives and when we get to that point we become enslaved by money right and so money, this, this becomes a big deal. This is one of the pitfalls that, that we need to look advance at and try to avoid. This cycle of being dependent and get, going after money. And what, what, what's really the case is us putting our trust in money. I think this also might be the point where money begins to distort our sense of self-worth. Money might begin to distort our sense of self-worth. How, uh, how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive our value to our family, to the people around us, to the world around us, becomes tied to money. How important we are, or at least our perceived importance, becomes tied to money. I mean, how many people live anxiously in a marriage because they feel like their, their value in the marriage is based on how much money they, they can bring back home. How many friends feel like a sense of pressure to keep up with the other friends, keep up, uh, keep up, keep up with your friends. The only way they stay engaged with that relationship is just that pursuit of money and all of that is really just about our perceived self-worth what we feel like we need to be when it comes to money in order to be important to others. This is such a dangerous pitfall. Such a dangerous pitfall. And of course we could do that to ourselves. We, we can also very easily do, project that onto other people. The value of the people around us might be tied to how much money they have. The friends that you keep might need to be in a certain socioeconomic range in order for you to really connect with them. How much money people have determines their importance. And listen, we live in a culture that that celebrates celebrities, that, that puts celebrities on such a high pedestal. Why? They're human beings. It's just they have more money. They have more money, yet maybe they have a certain skill or something like that. But essentially, why do we care about the Kardashians, really? Really? They have money. I mean, so many crazy people that we pay attention to, that we give value to, simply because they have money. You know, over the course of my life, there have been a number of celebrities who have... um, Pass away because of some form of like drug addiction or some interaction with drugs, and it's tragic. It's tragic, right? But in those in those moments, as I see the video montages and the and the uh, you know personal stories from people who have never ever met that person, talking about how how wonderful of a human being they are, and you know what? I just think like, is that person more valuable than the mother of five who's. Who only got addicted to heroin because her abusive boyfriend forced her into prostitution. Like that woman overdosed, like, is she less important? I mean, how we view people, how we view ourselves, can so easily be tied to money, right? And of course, that 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 comes back into this idea of our purpose how we engage the people around us, how we're supposed to love on the people around us can be influenced by our perception of them that's tied to money. Money has so many pitfalls, just to name a couple. And I feel like Jesus is helping us understand that, and, and that's also why I feel like Jesus is having such a strong reaction about money because he realizes how devastating these traps of money can be the danger of money can be and so but ultimately why did, why does jesus care this much about how we perceive money how we engage money why does it matter whether to jesus or anybody else if i'm doing what i want with my money and i'm not really hurting anybody else what does it matter I think there are a number of reasons why, but chief among them is that at this point, money is really an idol, right? Money becomes the driving force in your life. Money is calling the shots. Now, we may not, you know, build like a money statue and bow down to it, but money is, money is the reason why you get out of bed. Money is, you know, whether you use those words or not, living the life that you want to live, trying to achieve that sense of power and, and opportunity, etc., That's what's driving your lives, and it becomes an idol. And any type of idol is offensive to God. Any type of idol is offensive to God. I'm going to talk about the Ten Commandments. We'll talk about number one. Number one on the top ten, okay? Idolatry is a big, big deal, it's offensive to God. But I think also when we give ourselves to money, when we succumb to the pressures of money, when we let money run the show of our lives, when we let money define who we are, I think it also grieves God because God wants to do those things. God loves you. Did you know that? And God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. The psalmist tells us that God knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew exactly who you were going to be generations before the earth was ever made. God knows exactly who you are. God knows who you're going to be. God has a plan for your life. God, gets, God wants to be able to define those things in your life. And I just feel like when we give ourselves to money, it grieves God ultimately because it separates us, it diverts our attention, it moves us away from the kingdom of God. It moves us away from the things of God. I feel like we get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we, when we use money to find our purpose. And I feel like that's essentially what we're trying to do when we when we skip God altogether, we're trying to use money to find our value, find direction in our lives, find meaning, find that, that, that thing that satisfies our soul. We get into trouble when we use money to find our purpose because that's not how it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to work out is that we're supposed to use money for our purpose, We're not supposed to use money to find our purpose. We're supposed to use money for our purpose. As we engage in the mission of God and engage in the life that he has called us to live, we're supposed to use money to do the things that God has called us to do. And so in that sense, if we view money in that way, then money sort of becomes neutral again. Maybe those pitfalls aren't as deep, Maybe, maybe maybe, we can avoid them a bit more when we're, when we're not focused on the money itself, but we're rather following the call of God in our lives. When we get to that point, then we start to use money as a tool. We use money as a tool to do the things that God has called us to do. And that's what money should be about. All this time so far in the message, I've been talking about how terrible money is, Right? <laughs> You know, money will suck you down into a sinkhole or something like that. It'll, like, you know, snatch your kids out in the, from their beds or something. No, not, it's not going to do that. No. But listen, money, it's in and of itself, it's just a thing. And we, we give it power, but, but God created the concept of money. It's a part of creation as a whole. Resources our important part of life. Why? Because we're supposed to use those resources to do the things that God has called us to do. You know, some of the, some of the uh, examples that I could think about is um, uh, I remember Jordan Arsenault uh, when, he was, when they were looking at their house, uh, the house that they just bought, and my wife Jenny and I had a similar experience. I know others of you might have as well, but you, you sort of walk into a room and you say, Wow that would be a great small group room, right? Like, man, that backyard would be a great, like, pig roast backyard. And so suddenly our resources aren't necessarily about us. I mean, we live there, but we, we're, we're viewing it from the perception that this is now a tool to do kingdom ministry, This is now something that we can use. It's a tool to do the things that God has called us to do, to invite people, to let people know about the love of God in their lives, for for their lives, the love of God for them as individuals. And so money, money can actually be a good thing, okay? Don't walk out of here thinking, you know, you should throw away all your money. If you can throw it away, come to my house, put it in my dumpster, okay? I'll take care of it. I'll get rid of it. Money is not a terrible thing. We just have to know how to view it, how to interact with it. And so if money is a tool, then like any tool, if you have a tool of your trade, any tool that you use, you kind of need it to be available, right? Money is great, but if you don't have it, you can't use it. This is why I don't lend my tools out to people. <laughs> if you ask, I just want to let you know. Pray. Pray before you come ask me. Maybe God will change my heart. <laughs> but listen, this, this is how we should perceive money, right? You know, I, I get really weirded out when I hear the words like wealth, Christian wealth building. And, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going against that. I believe that people are trying their best to follow Jesus and to and to grow their the amount of money that they have, maybe for the kingdom of God, but I just feel like instead of wealth building, how about like building out our tool shop having having just a a, a bounty so that we it 's ready to use it 's ready to be activated it 's available at a moment 's notice right that 's how money. And wealth building and cash reserves are really meant to be. It's really meant to be available for use for the kingdom of God. I also think if we view money as a tool, we we also need to keep it in good condition. We need to keep it in good condition. I think we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble, uh, very practically speaking, when we don't take good care of our money. When it's scattered here and there, we got bills. We don't even know who the creditors are calling. Like, like, just money is all over the place. We don't have it organized. It's not making, you know, it's not growing in interest. It's not being invested properly. It's just it's just all over the place. I feel like very practically speaking, if we want to use this tool to the best of its ability, we need to keep it in good condition. Okay? Now, I'd, I'd love to be able to talk through that, more with you if you'd like. I, I, I feel like it's just one of my callings in life to help people with their finances um, so that they can use money the best that they can so that they can thrive with the money that they have. I'm not going to spend uh, really much time on that today. I don't have any money tips for you today per se. Uh, but it's important to keep it in good condition. If that doesn't make sense to you, come talk to me, okay? Um, And so that's where we're at. We use money for our purpose. We use it as a tool. You know, one of the questions uh, that people ask sometimes is, how much? How much money should I have? It's a very practical question, right? How much money should I keep in cash reserves? How much money should I have? What type of job should I get after so that I can, you know, have this, you know, healthy finances? How much money? Um, to, to answer that question, I want to I just, just re- briefly talk about a couple different stories uh, that Jesus, a couple actually encounters that, that Jesus has with two different people. One is uh, found in Luke chapter 21. Jesus observes a widow... With two coins. And she's at the temple. And while other you know, uh, um, religious leaders are pouring their bag of money into this clangy cauldron. So that everybody is, is uh, hearing them and, and all that. Here's this widow giving her last two coins. And Jesus looks at her and he acknowledges this incredible woman. And says, that woman. She gave more than anybody else she gave more than anybody else another another encounter that jesus has is with a rich young ruler this is found in matthew 19 There's a couple uh some of the um gospels repeat these stories but one of the way one of the places you can find it is matthew chapter 19 a young man comes up to jesus Maybe he's sincere, not really sure, but he asks, hey, Jesus, how do I get to inherit the kingdom of God? How can I engage with you and your mission? And, you know, get, I want to I grab hold of this purpose. What do I have to do? And Jesus basically says, hey, go give away all your money. Go give away all your money. And the story tells us that the man walked away sad because that money meant more to him than engaging in the kingdom of God. And so I feel like instead of giving you a dollar number or even a percentage number, instead of asking how much money should I have, I would ask you how much money are you willing to give? How much of your resources, how much of your money are you willing to give? I feel like that's so much more of an important question because this woman who had just two coins is now remembered for all ages because of those two little coins. And she just gave whatever she could, in whatever way that she could, very humbly. And here you have a person who had it all. He had riches, and he wasn't willing to give any of it away. So how do we use our tools? How, how, how do we, how do we um, have a healthy perception of money, as a tool well listen we 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 have to we have to soul search and ask ourselves how much of the money that i have in my pocket that is available to me how much am i willing to actually give away am i willing to take a pay cut to engage in the kingdom of god am i willing to make adjustments so that i can do the things that god has called me to do am i willing to get maybe give a little bit more whether at church or some other organization, some, some other place that is trying to extend the kingdom of God. How much am I willing to give? And so as we kind of wrap this up, I, I just, you know, when we talk about money intersecting our purpose, um, we have to acknowledge the pitfalls that we can fall into if we're not careful. The lure of money uh, First Timothy talks about the love of money this is the root of all evil, right? That being such a such a powerful force when it comes to money, but don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater money is not a bad thing. instead, do as Jesus said, and seek the kingdom above all else. Let that be the guiding sort of uh, narrative of your life and money loses its power over you and money becomes a tool for you. Because how we, how we engage this, uh, as Jesus says, uh, is indicative of a heart posture toward God. And I, I just... I want to I reflect how God demonstrates this. God had the most ultimate treasure that he could have in his son, Jesus Christ. And he sent Jesus Christ here to the earth to die for you and for me. So that you and I could live the life that we never ever deserve to live. To have a relationship with our father in heaven God gave his most prized possession to fulfill his mission. And I feel like he's calling us to do the same. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to, to, to press into, to, to give of ourselves when it comes to money? Do we take it seriously. Do we think about how money uh, is tied to our purpose? God gave his one and only son so that you and I can even be a part of the story. And so we praise him for that. Worship team, you can come up. Money is a big deal. Money is a big deal. It's part of our everyday lives. And we can either just try to keep it quiet. We We could try to do our own things with it. We could try to just to just avoid how it intersects with the uh, calling that God has for our life. Uh, or we could lean right into this. We can, we can evaluate what we have available to us and how we can use it to extend the kingdom of God. So that's my challenge to you today. Your own assessment, how are you using your money to be a part of this great big mission of God here on the earth. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just, I thank you. I thank you that you're generous. I thank you that the, even the construct of money, I feel like is is it's like this physical illustration of your generosity that as we receive, it's really just sort of, you know, uh, almost like a metaphor of just your blessings for our lives that you really do feed us, you sustain us, you take care of us, you're watching over us. So I thank you for that, Lord. God, I know that this is, um, this can just be a really tough subject. So God, I just ask that you will quiet the mouth of the enemy that would try to condemn us, that would try to, to make us feel bad about how we're using the resources that you've given to us. God, I I just ask that you would cast away any unclean spirit here in this place, that your truth would shine through. Come, Holy Spirit. Though we trust you with our lives, we recognize the incredible sacrifice that you made, your generosity toward us through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. We Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for your example of generosity. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, let all these things ring true in our lives. As we engage our purpose with whatever resources we have. In Jesus' name, amen.